The reason we've been looking at the Psalms is it's all about relationship and there's a danger when it comes to faith that you can get stuck in your head and, and we don't want to be people stuck in our heads. We want to be people who are actually relating to the God of the universe in the way that he wants to be related to as a, a friend and a father. He wants relationship. And today uh, we've taken a journey. All, all the Psalms have had different themes. Today we're going to talk about what it means to experience grace in the midst of deep tragedy and even death. Have you ever felt like that something happened that derailed your whole life? Have you ever felt like something happened that derailed your whole life? If you did, then this psalm is for you. And if you haven't yet, that's great. But there are going to be times in your life, chances are, where you will experience disorientation, where things are broken and painful, where you experience tragedy. One English novelist said, youth is life as yet untouched by tragedy. Youth is life as yet untouched by tragedy. So if your life is so far untouched by tragedy, this psalm probably won't make a lot of sense for you. But if you've had really difficult moments in your life, this psalm is for you. It starts with these beautiful, faith-filled words. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. We start to understand how faith-filled these words are when you read the next few verses. And only the people who can identify with these next two verses, who, who for whom these verse 3 and 4 explain or, or somehow cast light on your actual experience, only people who can relate to verses 3 and 4 will really understand what this psalm is about. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I call on the name of the Lord and said, Lord, save me. I don't know if you can relate to those words. Uh, for me, this psalm became really pivotal at a, a central part of my life where, where I could really relate to those words. I had worked with a mission organisation, Fusion, from 1992. It's where I, I met my wife, Leanne. I was working in the Fusion office upstairs and she was working downstairs. And I, I loved working with Fusion there was this, this sense of camaraderie, the, a deep sense of fellowship, a sense we were, we were changing the world and making a difference and that somehow God was in all that we were doing. My dad had founded Fusion back in 1960. There's a whole lot of Christian organisations who were founded around the same time, interestingly enough, including YWAM and others that all started around the same era. I don't know what it was about the, the early 60s that started a bunch of Christian organisations. 
Uh, and I, I am so proud of my dad. He was, uh, through the 70s and 80s, he was one of the best-known uh, voices on radio. He was on more radio stations, commercial radio stations, than any other person in the country. He had a, a, a four-minute radio program called The Breakthrough Generation, which was heard all over the country. He would speak... I, one of my earliest memories is as a three-year-old uh, at... Uh, uh, outside Parliament House in Canberra, seeing my dad on a stage and what felt like for a three-year-old, thousands and thousands of people. There, well, there actually were quite a lot of people at this, uh, they call it Kairos back then, uh, to, uh, uh, a, an evangelistic thing. That's the first time my dad worked with John Smith and a bunch of other uh, guys that sort of would be in each other's orbit for the the 70s and 80s, uh, my dad led hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to faith. Uh, and there are people in our church who talk about the significance of hearing my dad speak for their lives in an ongoing way. But uh, in uh, 2009, my, my dad had been talking about wanting to retire for a number of years. And... Uh, He'd actually been using the phrase, I want to land this jumbo jet, I want to, I want to be able to retire. But it was like he, he wasn't able to do it simply and, and in the end it, he had to retire quickly and in a very kind of messy way and in a very painful kind of way. And uh, I, along with uh, four other guys, uh, stepped in to try and hold this movement which had... In, in the course of the last 10 years, from around 1999 to the year 2009, had grown from just being in Australia to being in 14 different countries, I, I stepped in with three other guys to try and hold it together through a, a, a much a messier transition than anybody wanted. And, gee, it was difficult. Um, we... We did our best, but we got to the following conference and three of those four guys just couldn't keep going. Uh, and somebody asked me whether I'd be willing to stand again for the leadership at that conference. And I was wrestling with it in the end, I said yes. And so I then, for the following year, tried to hold the movement again with, together again with uh, two other people. Uh, in that second year, I joined the Arrow Leadership uh, course that Dan Hutchison and, and Maddie Saboda and a bunch of others have done. And it was a lifeline for me because what was becoming increasingly obvious in those, in those years, and particularly that, uh, that second year, was that anyone who had issues with my dad had transferred them also to me. Uh, and it was not going to be simple for the son of the founder uh, to be uh, in the leadership of this organisation. At the Arrow uh, program, they have a whole lot of guest speakers come in and they try, they do what they call a 360-degree feedback process uh, where they get people who work under you, people who are peers and people who are over you uh, to give feedback and they get 30 or 40 people to fill in these anonymised surveys uh, and they called me in uh, 
after receiving the 30 or 40 responses to my survey and said, look, we've just never seen this before. Um, you are so polarising that we don't think this data is valid. Because of what's happened in fusion, people either think you can do no wrong or that you can do no right. But no one is... <laughs> no one seems to have an accurate picture of you at all. So, sorry, this data isn't valid. And so, uh, it was uh, clear that we needed to, to uh, do something. So, we brought in uh, Tim Dyer from the Northwest Coast who led us through a process and we established a new structure. Uh, and I stepped down from leadership and uh, started uh, volunteering at the local petrol station, pet, uh, pumping petrol and helping with teaching and just feeling lost, like my story had been taken somehow. And it was around this time that I discovered this psalm. Uh, and I also discovered a later on a, a, uh, a song, you know, you'll probably guess by who by, uh, a song by U2. Um, uh, and it, it helped me understand what this psalm meant. There's something about these words that when I heard it, I just started crying. Because the first few verses of that song named what I was trying to do in those two years. The first two verses say, uh, I was chasing down the days of fear, chasing down a dream before it disappeared. I was aching to be somewhere near your voice was all I heard. I felt like I was trying to hold on to a dream before it disappeared. The next verse says, I was shaking from a storm in me, haunted by the spectres that we had to see. Yeah, I, I wanted to be the melody above the noise, above the hurt. That's what I wanted to do. Somehow, and it felt like the, all these people who I, I loved so deeply, and it felt like all of a sudden everything was falling apart around the world and particularly in Australia. I just wanted to be the melody above the noise. I wanted to point people back to Jesus and say, this, it's, it's okay. Uh, but I found there's nothing I could do to help. I, I couldn't do it. I don't know if sometimes when things feel like they're falling apart, you just want to fix it. I, just, I don't know if you've experienced that. And there's nothing more powerless than, than wanting to fix something that's hurting everybody around you. And you can't do it. So, one of the things that I learnt pretty quickly about, and, and this psalm uh, taught me, is God, in the moments of darkness, God hears when you cry out. Verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion the Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. 
For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes, from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I, I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. In the message, it puts it this way. Up against it, I didn't know which way to turn. Then I called out to God for help. Please, God, I cried out, save my life. God is gracious. It's he who makes things right. Our most compassionate God, most compassionate God takes the side of the helpless. When I was at the end of my rope, he saved me. When I was at the end of my rope, he saved me. Have you experienced what it's like to be at the end of your rope? Sometimes the storm, sometimes the darkness you experience is a result of dumb choices you've made. Sometimes it's just a result of circumstances, health or other things. Sometimes it's a result of other people's mess and their bad choices and, and sometimes it's a combination of all three. It was tough being in the middle of something where it felt like people, uh, being a polarising kind of lightning rod for people's anger and frustration isn't a nice place to be. Uh, I, I identify with the words of Psalm, of verse 10 and 11, where it says, I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone's a liar. <laughs> in the message, it says, I stayed faithful, though bedeviled, and despite a ton of bad luck, despite giving up on the human race, saying, they're all liars and cheats. Uh, part of what facilitated that sentiment for me was, I, as I looked around, I, just, I could see people acting in ways that just weren't right. At least from my perspective, and I, I tried to speak up about it, uh, and and the result of that was that I ended up being banned from speaking uh, in Australia uh, by Fusion. I, I was able to speak in South Africa and England, where the, my book was launched, and but it, uh, and so all, so I was no longer able to teach. I was only able to pump pep pump petrol and write. Uh, don't know, have, have you experienced people having strong feelings about you and it's like you can't do much about? It's pretty painful. All I, uh, interestingly enough, all I could do was write, work on writing my book, which uh, that year ended up getting launched in England, uh, not in Australia. Uh, and a few weeks, it was last week, a few weeks ago, I talked about the complicated experience of getting on a plane to Canada. Well, this was the context. We were getting on the plane. Uh, we uh, were invited to come and have a sabbatical in, in Canada. I, I, the little Fusion Canada team saw what was happening in, in Australia and, and saw that our family needed a hand. 
And so they, they actually we, we, they paid for our flights, they organised a house for us, they paid for the school fees for the kids for the first six months. Uh, and so we got on the plane and went to a different country. And we arrived in Canada feeling broken and bewildered. Uh, we felt dislocated, which wasn't helped when my grandmother passed away and we just didn't have the money to get back for the funeral. And uh, when we started to run out of money and trying to go, God, what are you doing? Every other time we run out of money, we pray and things start to work. This time we're praying and it, it's not working in the same way. Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, keep going. Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, keep going. I need you to hear this. Neither the dumb stuff you've done in the past nor circumstances, nor other people's crap can rob you of the story that God has for you. And there is something that I need you to hear. There's a core truth of Christianity that no one, none of us really want to hear, but it is true. And it's a theme right the way through the Bible. And it's this. There is a kind of grace you discover only by going through hell. There's a kind of grace you discover only by going through hell. You start to understand the profound weight of Romans 8.28, where Paul writes... And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. In all things. God is sovereign. And so even the stupid things you've done in your past that have, that even some of us have done if we were to be honest, evil things in our past. And we look back on that or other people have done evil things to us. Sometimes it's not evil, it's just circumstances and people have got sick or died or accidents have happened. Somehow the truth of our gospel, the truth of the cross is that all things work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus and call according to his plan or to quote the theologian Bono again grace makes beauty out of ugly things We are, as the psalmist says, invited to fulfil our promises to God no matter what circumstances or other people are doing. 
we are invited to fulfill our promises to God no matter what circumstances or other people are doing. Verse 12, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I'll lift the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Or in the message, I'll complete what I promised God I'd do. And I'll do it together with his people. The assumption of the psalm is in order for you to be faithful, you need his people. The lie of our world is your faith is about you retiring, retiring to a little somewhere and you know, bringing in good sermons on YouTube or reading an inspirational book or a, a verse of the day or something and that's all about you and God. I, I was lost but I needed God's people to remind me And we get this haunting little verse here. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Ultimately, life has a 100% mortality rate. Ultimately, 100% of us are going to die. But also, there are times where it's going to feel like you're dying. And we are invited to live lives that demonstrate the truth that life is found on the other side of death. There's a cheap and phony kind of Christianity that says, just do A, B, C, D and you won't have to face death. Everything will go the way your ego wants it to go. It's a lie. Sometimes the right paths are the valley of the shadow of death. Just two weeks before he was no longer with us, Pete Clark wrote, I'd rather be in the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus than on a mountaintop without him. We're going to, I haven't finished the message with a couple of other things I need to share as we look at Psalm 116. But at this moment, as we talk about the, the life that's found on the other side of death, we need to understand. That's the story at the heart of our gospel. That at the moment where evil did its worst, at the moment where the full weight of evil was put on the ultimate innocent one, God used evil to defeat evil. The cross is the ultimate judo move. And we are invited to remember 
how life actually comes. One Corinthians ten, Paul writes, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the, the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? You may think there are moments where you are hard done by. You may think there are moments where other people don't understand. If you're honest and you look in the face of Jesus on the cross, you discover those moments pale into insignificance. As you look in the face of the one who has died so that death no longer gets to be the final answer. So that evil no longer gets to write your story for you. So before we read the next part of the psalm, I just want to take a moment just to give thanks for this little symbol. And if you're at home, I invite you to get a, a bit of bread or a cookie and, and join us for this. And Jesus, we just want to say, we don't fully understand. Look, if we're to be honest, we don't want to go through hard stuff. If we're to be honest, Jesus, we don't want to go through hard stuff. But our hard stuff pales in into insignificance for what this cost and the life you brought and the grace that means that death doesn't win. And we don't fully understand what Paul means where he says we get to participate in your death on that cross. But Jesus, as we come now, sometimes, and some of us a bit broken, without the answers, as we come now, we want to say thank you for the life you purchased for us. Let's eat together. And Jesus, we acknowledge that there have been lots of times where we've felt stressed, we've felt misunderstood, it's been difficult, but we haven't sweated blood like you sweated blood. We weren't betrayed in the same way you were betrayed. We've been betrayed, many of us, but not in the same way. And we didn't hang on a cross like you hung on a cross. You came, came so that we might have life. And your blood became a, a new covenant, a new way of relating to God that somehow Satan doing his worst was actually what God used to bring the best. Again, Jesus, we don't know, we can, we can hardly glimpse what this means. But again, we just want to say thank you.
Thank you for your body broken for us. Thank you for your blood given for us. Let's drink together. And so that cross that we come back to week after week, that cross that shows us the path to life also shows us the path of life. We would like a life without any pain or suffering, wouldn't we? That's why we tend to want to skip over the things that Jesus says over and over again. He says it in every gospel. He says it in some, uh, a couple of times. But here's, here's an example, Mark 8. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I don't know how to tell you this. And if I'm to be honest, there's a big part of me that wishes it wasn't true. But the truth is... Your life will be the greatest gift. Your life will have the greatest impact. Your life will have the greatest blessing for others to the extent you've been through hell and got to the other side. To the extent that your life reflects the shape of the cross. We've got all kinds of ways in our society of avoiding the cross that is there for us. We've got all kinds of ways of avoiding reality, avoiding conflict, avoiding pain. But Jesus says, will you just stop fighting me? And it's not superficial, this stuff. And it's not like, I I wish I could tell you, you, you get through a tough moment and then all of a sudden everything's fixed. You don't get like fast forward moments. Life is still a journey. You, you hit moments that are kind of like a bottom and then sometimes you, you, you start to find your way out. But it's always going to be a journey. As a result of running out of money, Leanne and I would take long journeys and talk and pray and And I felt like God may be saying it might be time to work in a church, which was not what I planned at all. I had uh, part of the the reason we went to Canada is that I started studying my Masters in Theological Studies, which was a real gift, and feeling like I was being put back together. and, And we'll tell you the story more one day, but it really did feel like God created a specific job that was uniquely shaped for me with a team of people who were just a gift to me and a team of people who believed in me and and we Canada for us was a really a healing journey 
but we needed a fair bit of healing and, and we still carry scars. But I still, I still remember the moment the team, there's a bunch of team people over there talking and I remember this profound sadness as I thought, oh no, they're gossiping about me again. And then I had to realise, no, they weren't. <laughs> that, that my past coloured the way I experienced working with people and I, and I ended up having to relearn how to trust people again. At the end of the Arrow, uh, about, about one week before we would get on the plane to go to Canada and we graduated from Arrow, they gave us this, in the Arrow final week, they gave us this passport. Uh, and it's, it says, anything to surrender or anything to declare. And you had to write down what you thought God was saying. In, under anything to surrender, I wrote... I need to leave behind a lack of self-confidence and the bruises that hold me back from relationship and trusting God. And there I've got a quote from Psalm 116 from the message where it says, I stayed faithful, though bedeviled, and despite a ton of bad luck, despite giving up on the human race, saying they're all liars and cheats. And under anything to declare, a long time before I ever thought I'd end up being a pastor, I wrote... I am called to trust God, to help the people in the pews find their place in God's mission to be a catalyst. And again, a quote from Psalm 116, I'll complete what I promised God I would do and I'll do it together with his people. Um, my wife brought the lyrics of the, the song The Miracle of Joey Ramone. She'd printed them out and put them up on a wall and I read you the first few verses uh, these are how the song finishes I woke up at the moment when the miracle occurred I heard a song that made some sense out of the world everything I ever lost uh, now has been returned in the most beautiful sound I've ever heard the refrain is, we can hear you, hear you, we can hear you. And he goes on, I woke up at the moment when the miracle occurred. I get so many things I don't deserve, which is what grace is. All the stolen voices will someday be returned. The most beautiful sound I've ever heard. And then the last bits of the song are, your voices will be heard. Your voices will be heard. Psalm 116 comes to a, a crescendo as, as David writes, or it's not, not David, the psalmist writes, Truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You freed me from the chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all these people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Or again, uh, this is in the message, what can I give back to God for all the blessings he's poured out on me? I'll lift high the cup of salvation, a toast to God. I'll pray in the name of God. I'll complete what I promised God I'd do and I'd do it together with his people. When they arrive at the gates of death, God welcomes those who love him. 
Oh God, here I am, your servant, your faithful servant. Set me free for your service. I'm ready to offer the thanksgiving sacrifice and pray in the name of God and I'll complete what I promised God I would do and I will do it in company with his people. You need to hear this. There is a lie Satan wants you to believe. That the dark moments of your life have stolen your story. Satan doesn't have a right because of that cross. Satan doesn't have a right to steal your story. He doesn't have a right to steal your voice. Too many of us buy the lie. The only power Satan has over us is the, the power we give him. Somehow, there is a deep truth that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul says, I've got this part of my life that I don't want to tell you about and I've told God three times that he has to deal with it and he hasn't done it. I've got this thorn in my flesh that is ripping me apart. And God just keeps telling me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And then he says, that's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is the truth of our gospel. That most pastors don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole and most of us don't want to think about. That it is your dark spots, your weaknesses, your failings, your moments of powerlessness, that if you're open and reach for him, you'll discover grace at a whole nother level. And that somehow God's power is made perfect in our weakness. We have this false kind of Christianity that says you've got to be able to put on the act. That somehow if you're a bit broken, there's something wrong and you can't actually be a Christian. Welcome to the fellowship of the broken. The people who know they need Jesus. And I've got to say, I wouldn't wish some of the experiences, I've only touched on the surface, I wouldn't wish some of the experiences we had on anybody, on my worst enemy. But I, I am here to tell you, I am so much freer than I ever would have been had I not been through some of that horrible stuff. I am much more me than I would have been 
had I not been through that horrible stuff. Like I said, I, I don't want anybody to go through horrible stuff. But the truth is all things work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus and called according to his plan. And the more you run from the horrible stuff or pretend it's not real, the less Jesus is able to work in your life. So the refrain of the psalm is, I'll complete what I promised God I'd do, and I'll do it in the company of his people. Let's be a, a bunch of people who know they need Jesus, who have the guts to hang on when everything in them is screaming to give up and trust his grace that turns up in the valley of the shadow of death. And if you're going through hell, keep going. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we acknowledge Some of us carry scars, some of us carry shadows from the dark moments, the dark times, and some of us are even in the middle of a dark time right now. Thank you that you promised to be with us in the darkness. And while we may not see it in the moment, that somehow all things will work together for good. So please, Jesus, have us, help us have the courage to bring the darkness into the light. Help us bring our darkness and lay it at your feet. And save us from any kind of religious games that says we have to have it all together. I want to say thank you for the way you carried me and my family through our experience. And I just pray that for any of my brothers and sisters right now who are feeling like they are in their own dark place, that they would know your comfort and carrying. And that all of us would have the courage to say, we will complete what we promised you to do and we'll do it in the company of your people. We ask this in your name. Amen.